Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. It is the Sabbath and we are here today in the days of awe, culminating tomorrow evening as we begin Yom Kippur and then we get excited for the Feast of Tabernacles Sukkot. We are gathering here in Oregon and you can still register. There is still time to register. And I believe there is a link down below, or we can put it up in the chat, torahtothetribes.com forward slash connect. We're going to be spending nine days out in the Oregon wilderness on the Santiam River on about 114 acres with cabins and RVs and tents and a worship center with an industrial kitchen with refrigeration and cooking for all of your needs. So please, if you are in the vicinity or you want to make a trip out here to the great Pacific Northwest, whilst it still is great, then (laughs) register at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. I hear you had a blessed Sabbath today in the Shabbat Fellowship. Good reports, good reports. So I'm excited about that. Today's going to be a topical teaching. Yahweh willing, I can make the sense and bring forth the word today because we are in the cycles, the Moedim, the feasts of Yahuwah. And I don't know about you, but my life changed when I came out of the Roman papal system of Christmas and Easter and Sunday services and Wednesday night services and started thinking more Hebraically, started thinking about how everything is a cycle. It's not Greek in its linear form and there's this line before the cross and then there's this line after the cross, before Christ and after death. No, it's cyclical. We have uh, the cyclical times, seasons, and Moedim of Yahuwah. And as the prophet Isaiah, Yeshayahu, says, the end is declared from the beginning. Better sheep. So as we come into Yom Kippur, I was thinking about how this Moed, this sixth feast of Yahuwah, what is it all about cyclically? in relation to the spring feasts and the second full feast before the final seventh feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. So I wanted to read to you today, of course, from Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 23, to get the sense. And then I want to turn with me, if you could, in the book of Yehoshua, Joshua, and we're going to use the template of chapter 6 in Yehoshua to look at the cyclical marching around Jericho, because they marched around Jericho for six Moedim, six days, if you will. There's the cycle. They had to endure one round and two rounds and three rounds and so forth and so on. And they finally got to the sixth Moed, the sixth day, and they blow the shofarim and things started to happen. So I want to relate the days of walking around um, Jericho to the seven Moedim of Yahuwah. Because I think for myself, when I was back in the church, if you look at the Bible cyclically in the feasts, I was always taught Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ crucified. And, And that is true. 
That's all about Passover. Passover, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. Okay, and then sometimes we might get a little bit further and we might actually get to talking about unleavened bread, the next moed, right? We might start to talk about unleavened bread, meaning that it's sin, according to Paul, when he speaks to those in the Brit Hadashah. And we would start to delve into the meaning of that. We certainly would never get into the next cycle of Shavuot. I mean, Pentecost, maybe you'd go to a Pentecostal church, but it really didn't relate to the Moedim because at that point, we've totally Greeked ourselves out. And you're certainly not going to go through the long, hard, dry summer and ever approach the feast of Yom Teruah, not in the church. So what do we have looking at this cyclically and looking at it with metaphor and allegory using the seven, the six days of marching around Jericho? Most of us, when we were in the church, we would have never made it past day one, two, or three. We would have never made it past one day one, two, or three because we were never taught much more than the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's only the first moed. We certainly weren't taught the real in-depthness of the moedim and how this does relate to the life of the believer and that it is a cycle. And if we can't step through and go through the whole cycle, then we break the cycle. You're either flowing with the cycle or you're breaking the cycle. And the church has broken the cycle because it's not going with it. It's made the traditions of men its own realm or object of worship. Does that make sense? So today, turn with me, if you will, to Vaikra, Leviticus chapter 23. And in verse 26, it is written, And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It shall be a Mikra Kodesh, a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to Yahuwah. And you shall do no work on the same day, for it is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before Yahuwah your Elohim. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. That says a lot about the inward conviction, doesn't it? Do you feel that you should be afflicting your soul? Or do you feel that you've just got this whole walk together and that you're some righteous person? Because I tell you, every single day, I feel like I am afflicting my soul. Maybe it's because I'm such a rotter, but I do often, often dwell on the affliction of the soul because I want my soul to ascend. And the only way the soul ascends is through affliction. By affliction, you shall ascend. You shall be cut off from among your people. Verse 30. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a hook, a statute forever 
throughout your generations in all of your dwellings. It shall be to you a Shabbat of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls, nefeshim, on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. This, of course, is the proof text for Yom Kippur. So today, like I said, I want to look at the seven feasts of Yahuwah and the sevenfold ascent of the soul before Yom Kippur. Because that's what the days of Bor are supposed to be, where you afflict your soul and your soul ascends. If you're not afflicting your soul, if I'm not afflicting the soul, then my soul descends. And sometimes I get caught up in behaviors that make my soul descend. And then I feel guilt, shame, oppression, and depression. And then through afflicting the soul, through the word, through prayer, through repentance, the soul begins to ascend. And I feel it. Do you ever feel it? I feel it. I feel the ascent of the soul. So as we progress through the Feast of Yahuwah, we're going to see how the seven days of marching around Jericho are, I believe, prophetic shadow pictures of the seven festivals of Yahweh. Day six of the march around Jericho, of course, is the sixth Moed of Yahuwah, which we are fast approaching tomorrow night, Yom Kippur. So turn with me to Joshua, Yehoshua, chapter six and verse 30, actually verse 3, excuse me, verse 3 in Yehoshua chapter 6. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thou shalt do it six days. And the seven Kohanim priests shall bear before the ark, that would have been the ark of the covenant, seven shofarim, of ram's horns. And on the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the shofarim. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the shofarim, all the people shall shout with a great shout, a gadol, as in Kohen Hagadol, a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. This is an olah, an ascension of the man straight up like the smoke from the altar before Yahuwah as a sacrifice a sweet aroma before Yahuwah. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. The ascent of the soul through repentance to be a sweet fragrance before Yahuwah. That really is what we're talking about when we're going around Jericho. So looking at the Moadim, the conception point of the Moadim is Passover, Pesach, right? That's the beginning. It's in the first month of the year, on the 14th day of the year. You 
have the conception point. That's the first day's march around Jericho. And at that point, you're kind of wondering what this is all about. It's hot, it's dusty, and the falling down of the walls, they're a long way off. And a lot of people would be like, by day two, they'd be like, forget this. This is lunacy. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't, I don't believe it. I, I'm not wasting. I've got things to do. I've got crops to plant. I've got birds to hunt. I've got fish to fish or whatever. How many people in the faith don't progress past the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ crucified path? Easter, 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 right? Because that's what the Greco-Roman counterfeit is. The reality of it is we begin on day one at Passover, but we don't stop there. We have to now come back out of our tents and march on the second day. So day one of the march corresponds to Passover. We have to be overcomers firstly and tear down the enemy's strongholds in our life just to get to the repentance of day one. Can we all agree with that? Looking at this with allegory and metaphor of the march being the Moedim for each day. We have to take back in our lives what has been stolen. And we have to then set it apart unto Yahuwah. We are the people that reclaim the Moedim for Yahuwah. Now day two is equivalent to unleavened bread, Hagmat Sol. Day two of the march around Jericho, chapter 6, verse 8, it is written. So it was when Yehoshua, Joshua, had spoken to the people that the seven Kohanim, the priests, bearing the seven shofarim, the ram's horns, before Yahuwah advanced and blew the shofarim, and the ark of the covenant followed them. The armed men went before the Kohanim, the priests, and they blew the shofarim, and the rear guard came up after the ark. And while the Kohanim priests continued blowing the shofarim, now Yehoshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice. Now listen. You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then, when? Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of Yahweh circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged the camp. Now, right now, we're at the second day's march. We are, metaphorically, we are at the second Moed. We are at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now notice there's three things here. Three things here. Number one, not a single word is spoken. Number two, the only sound was the blaring shofars. And number three, after making one circuit, they all go back to the camp. Now, that's it. That is the extent of their action. That's it. After that, they went back to the camp and they chilled. They relaxed. 
Look at verse 14. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. You know there was a bunch of people scratching their head going, really? Do you think Moshe Rabbeinu's lost his noodles? I mean, we did it once yesterday. We got, I got all this sand in my sandals. I got it, brought it back to my tent. And you know how difficult it is to keep your RVs and tents clean during Sukkot. Can you imagine with all that dust and all that sand? But you'll notice that there is what's called in the Hebrew, and you see it in the construction of the tabernacle, a tavineth, a tavineth, a pattern. There's a pattern, a tavineth, that the lion's share of the spiritual warfare that's going on here consists of what? What's the lion's share of the spiritual warfare in life? Waiting and resting. And I've got to tell you, if you've ever been through some big things in your life, inaction and those that are slow to pick up weapons, that becomes a weapon in itself. Those that are slow to pick up weapons, that becomes a weapon in and of itself. Because everything needs to be done through waiting and resting. Patience is essential. And that is what we should learn as we come into Yom Kippur. Patience. Yom Kippur is the death blow, if you will, in spiritual warfare, where we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we rest the most. Because our soul should have shalom, so that we can have rest. And if you're always busying around, and you don't come into this sixth moed, always busying around, then you're going to find that you do not have the victory spiritually in your life that Yahweh wants for you. Now we come to the third day of marching around Jericho. The third day, of course, the third moed, moed is Yom Ha-Bikurim the Feast of First Fruits. Not only is Yom HaBikorim, the Feast of First Fruits, the third of the annual festivals, but it occurs on the third day of Hagmatzot, Unleavened Bread. And this isn't an accident. And it wasn't an accident that Yahushua rose from the dead on the third day, because this represents the first harvest of faith. Of course, it's a barley harvest. Barley food is animal food. So it's carnal in nature because you've got to get the carnal out to ascend to the fourth moed, right? Which is Shavuot, where there is the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh. The church stops right here, if it even gets past day one. Because a lot of churches won't get past the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ. Some churches will get to, well, you've got to get the sin out, and sin is represented by leaven. Some churches will teach that. Calvary Chapel did teach that to me. 
that you got to get the sin out. They didn't define sin properly because sin, according to 1 John, is violation of the Torah. So if you're not keeping Torah, then you're sinning. Makes sense, right? To me, but not according to a New Testament believer only. Now, the third moed, most don't even get to that. Because now we are talking about faith. Yes, we're still in our carnal infant nature, the barley nature, and this corresponds to the third day. And what was created on the third day? Grass. Herbs of the trees were planted by Yahweh in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Remember, I started off, Isaiah says, the end is declared from Bereshit, specifically. So many people are wondering why they're struggling and keep backsliding. Because many make the fundamental mistake of believing that this also is the end of what is required of us in our faith. That now we've come to the truth that the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, yes, we realize that we're sinners and we've got to get the sin out, unleavened bread, and now it's all good, we're good to go. No, but this is just the beginning. The third march around Jericho, the third Moed, is just the beginning. We're still in our barley nature. We're still infants. We're children still. And most of us stay there. And what do children drink? Milk. Breast milk or milk chocolate or milk on their cereal and their chocolate cocoa puffs. The older you get, the less milk you drink. To the point where you're like, you know, I'll have my coffee and I don't want any milk in it. To those of you that like your coffee to put a spoon in it and it to stand up. When do you ever drink milk? Now, hardly ever, right? The older you get, you can take more of a bitterness in life. You don't need to sweeten it always up. So Yahweh, if he had wanted us to stop here, he would have commanded us to have a three-day march around Jericho. And then he would have called all of the people to shout forth on the fourth day. But had he had done so, their faith wouldn't have been strong enough to sustain them. And this is the crux. This is why you see so many people falling off. I mean, I've been teaching the Torah now for 20 odd years. Almost 20 years. And the amount of people that I've got, well, where are they now? Some have gone into Judaism, denied the Messiah. Some have become secular. Some have just gone back to church. What happened? Their faith wasn't strong enough to sustain them. How? Because you have to keep developing it. You can't stop at the third Moedim. And children, you can't stop with the faith that your parents, your mother and your father, not parents because we're not the pair that rent you from the state, but the mother and father, you can't inherit the faith of your mother and father. You have to make the faith your own. Otherwise, you'll stay infants. And you need to grow and that faith needs to be yours. That faith needs to be yours. So the sad reality concerning the prophetic shadow of Jericho and the Feast of Yahuwah is that most New Testament only believing brethren 
they've quit after three days. And most don't make it past day one. They're like, you know what? I got sandy and dusty going around that Jericho once yesterday. I'm having a good time back here in my tent. I'm not going out on day two. But now we come to our fourth day around Jericho. This, of course, metaphor, allegory, it's Shavuot. This is the giving of the Torah at Sinai. This is when we get betrothed to Yahuwah. This is a covenant. This is a ketubah. This is a marriage vow. This is permanence. This is commitments. This is becoming a discipled, a disciplined one, a Talmudin to Yahuwah. Biblical marriage, biblical marriage is divided up into three stages. There's dedica dedication, that's a bit like a modern day engagement. Then there's betrothal, which are married, marriage covenants without the physical union. And then there is full marriage, the consummation of the covenant, which takes place after the husband has prepared a place for his bride. And what did Yahushua say? Today I go ahead to prepare a place. So we are looking at the development here. This is true biblical marriage, and we have to follow the, what was the word? Kavineh, the pattern, the pattern of true marriage, but also the pattern that is shown for our progression in salvation. Because salvation is ongoing. It's ongoing. Now, the Jericho siege, it becomes really a, min a minutiae or a miniature representation, spiritual reflection of fractions of the things that we're talking about. Because along this seven-day cycle or this seven-day march, we have Hagmatzot, unleavened bread, and then we finally, on that seventh day, we get to Sukkot. But you see these three stages of marriage, whether dedication, betrothal, and full marriage, these are all represented by what? Dedication is Passover. Betrothal is Shavuot. And full marriage is the marriage supper of the Lamb, which happens at Sukkot. Do you see that? Am I just talking to myself? I'm the only one that sees that. Do you see that in the chat? Are you following me? Somebody, please. My children are looking at me like, is the chat even working? Let me go live chat. Live chat. All right, we've got one person. One person gets it. Splendid. I can take one. If one sheep gets it, then that's good enough for me. I will go back sounding the alarm, sounding the alarm. So the fourth day, brethren, <coughs> and its corresponding Moed feast is pivotal because the majority of the believers, they doubt and they rebel at this stage and they often go back to their tents, shake off the dust and go back into the world. They do. They do. So now we come into this span of time of patience, of waiting between Shavuot and Yom Teruah. It's a long, hard, hot, dry summer. 
It's learning to walk in self-discipline. We must struggle to overcome the fleshly disposition that seems to whelm and overwhelm every stage of our spiritual growth. Every day, I have to. Discipline to get into the Word. Discipline to get into prayer. Discipline to not do the things that I want to do or the things that I used to do and the habits that I have that keep sneaking back up on me when I am stressed or under pressure. So from Passover to Sukkot, there is little doubt, brethren, in my mind that the hinge festival is Shavuot. Because that requires the greatest struggle of all to maintain within after the crossing over is made. I have to constantly pursue the Ruach HaKodesh to have the sensitivity in my life not to sin, the sensitivity of when I do sin to repent and to mourn and grieve and to put it aside from me. And then the sensitivity to discipline myself to allow my soul to ascend out of grief. Because my life could be taken at me at any moment. And I don't want to be taken with a grieving soul. I want to be taken with my soul in its ascent mode. When I am closest to my wife, when I am closest to my children, when I am closest to my mishpocha, when I am closest most of all to Yahuwah and his word is permeating through me and I'm getting revelations and I am feeling tahor, clean in my living. Is that all the time? No, because I struggle just like you do. So now we come, of course, to the fifth day. The fifth moed, the fifth day of going around Jericho is, we just celebrated it last week, Yom Trua is the fifth circuit around Jericho. And this is walking in the discipline of Torah obedience because day five represents the five wise virgins. They've got the oil in their lamp from the festival of Shavuot, the Ruach HaKodesh. They have endured to trim their wicks all summer long when it's been dry and hot and they still have their wicks trimmed and the oil in their lamp and they get to the fifth feast. Day five, they are trekking around Jericho and the fifth day is the blast of those shofars itself. It is the proclamation of victory because you have endured the temptation. You have overcome your flesh. You have been wrestling with Yahweh and your old self and overcoming it, and you have become mature. You have fallen, you have slipped, you have backslidden, and you have overcome it. You have developed a skill set, a biblical skill set of endurance, of knowing that when your soul grieves, how to repent, of knowing when you sin, how to confess and make restitution, reconciliation and come before Yahweh and be restored, understanding the dynamics of scripture, repentance, cleansing in life and with your community. The fifth day is the blast of the shofars. It's the victory. Why didn't Yahweh say that the five of you shall, why did he say five of you shall chase a hundred? 
and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Why did he say that in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8? Because a man walking in the principle of five will have the blessings of Elohim and be able to do miracles in his life. Because when you fall down, you get back up. And when you sin, you know how to come before Yahuwah and make it right. And that you don't fall away. And you don't give up. And you do endure. It's not about how good I am or how good you are. It's about how good he is. And just on that note, I shall digress. Because... We've had some emails going out, and I didn't send them out, but they've been going out, and somebody sent them out, and they had a, um, a yod, yod hay, and then a, an, a yu hay, okay? And usually, you know, I would type it in on my computer, yod, uh, a y-h-w-h. But anyways, there's been some emails coming out from Torah to the tribes. I didn't send them, but they, it has a y-h-u-h, okay? Well, firstly, I didn't do that. But a lot of people have contacted and said, what's up? Oh, my goodness, are you changing the name? And, and is it now this new pronunciation? And those, those of you that have watched and been tracking with me a long time, okay, if you were with me back in Calvary Chapel, then it was Jesus and God and the Lord. The Lord! Okay, and then you notice when I started keeping Torah, I referred to the Savior not as Jesus anymore, but Yeshua. And then I got smart, real smart. I'm kidding. Then I realized, well, I thought I realized, that it's not, it's not Yahushua. It's not Yeshua. It's um, Yahushua. So I did that for a while. And then I was like, well, it's not the Lord. It's Yahweh. And then I was like, well, no, it's not Yahweh. It's actually Yahweh. And then further along down the road, I mean, how many times? And then there's people that leave. I can't. One time I did a Passover teaching and I mentioned the name Jesus. Like four people left. Just mention the name Jesus. That's a false God. Brethren, it doesn't matter what I say and it doesn't matter what you say. Let's see what the scripture says because I tell you what, Yahweh is so much bigger than us. And this name thing, I might change it back to something else. And I'm most probably wrong. But I'm attempting and trying. Because I do know that the letter J was invented in 16, 15 something or other. Okay? Before that, it was a Y. But that's all just fluff. Because Yahweh is so good. And I want to read you a scripture. Turn with me. To Psalm 44. Psalm 44. I hope that this puts the name thing to rest. It should. And if it doesn't, then you're still back at Passover. You haven't gone through the fires yet. Psalm 44. We have heard with our ears, O Yahweh. Our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days. In days of old, you drove out the nations with your hand. 
but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance because you favored them. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't my intelligence, my lack of intelligence, your intelligence, your lack of intelligence, your might, your... No, it's always him. What I've come to learn myself is my intellect, my logic, and my reason always fail me. At the end of the day, it comes down to my faith. In verse 4, he goes on to say, You are my king, O Elohim. Command victories for Jacob. Though we will push down our enemies, though your name, through your name, we shall trample those who rise up against us. So is his name important? Yes, his name is important. yod Hey wah appears in the scriptures more times than any other name in scripture. Close to 6,000 times. So yes, it's extremely important. For I will not... Trust in my bow. It's not about my strength, my intelligence, lack of it, or whatever. Nor shall my sword save me. My might isn't going to save me. But you have saved us, Yahuwah, from our enemies. And have put to shame those who hated us. In Elohim we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Now here's the kicker but you have cast us off and put us to shame. And you do not go out with, your, with our armies. You make us turn back from the enemy. And those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. For you have given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations. Is that currently true? Yes. We're in exile. You sell your people for next to nothing and are not enriched by selling them. You make us a reproach for our neighbors and scorn and derision to those all around us. You make us a byword among the nations and a shaking of the head among the peoples. My dishonor is continually before me and the shame of my face has covered me. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles. Because of the enemy and the avenger. Verse 17. All this come upon us. But we have not forgotten you. Nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back. Nor have our steps departed from our way. But you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our Elohim or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not Yahweh search this out? For he knows the secrets of our heart. Yet, for your sake, we are killed all day long, and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. 
even if we had forgotten the name of our Elohim, even if we had stretched out our hands to a foreign God, but intended to be stretching out our hands to the creator of the heavens and the earth, believing that his son died, was crucified and rose from the dead. Even if we called on a foreign God, he is merciful to hear us. If that doesn't put all the true name arguments to bed, I don't know what will. If you called on the name of Jesus Christ, you were saved if it was authentic in your heart. And if you even called on the name of a foreign God, believing that it was the blood of Christ that was saving you through his resurrection, then you are saved. Is his name important? Yes. But he is bigger than you and me and our enunciation of words. He is bigger than language. He judges the heart of man. Is his name important? Yes, it is. But don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of what's really going on here. He is searching out your hearts. And he is searching out your soul to see if you are doing the work that you need to do to ascend, to make it to Yom Kippur and into the kingdom. Even if you stretched out your arms to a God and use, I mean, even maybe hash on God, right? There's some that say, well, Jesus is the name of a foreign God. Jesus, right? Okay, not, not arguing. Even so, look how merciful he is. Did you intend to stretch out your arms to the creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Did you intend to stretch your arms out to the son of man that was crucified, that died, that rose again three days and three nights later? Was it a J? Was it a Y? Was it an U? Was it a bar? Was it a wa? Was it a woo? Was it a wee? Was it a woo? Wa woo 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 wee? Whoopee woo wee. Wow. The word of Yahweh is true and every man is a liar. There's my ramble for the day to answer some of those email questions that came in this week. I hope that helps. We need to be walking in the principle of five because then we will have the blessings of Elohim and able to do miracles. Now I'm going to look in the chat and see how many of you left, how many of you are offended at my reading of the scripture. Psalm 44, and I believe if you want to check me on that, that was verse 20. Psalm 44, verse 20, should give you shalom when it comes to the name of Yahweh. Yes, his name is important, but his name is not salvific. And that might offend you, but he just said so right there. What is salvific is the blood of the Lamb. 
and the intent of man's hearts, which Yahuwah seeks out. Put your comments up on that ramble and tell me Hashem is not a name. Hashem is a name to some. That's what they call him, the name, right? And some would say it's a, the name of a, of a pagan god. Just like God is, you know, originates from, from um, the Tanakh and um, is one of their foreign elves, right? Babylonian. So, yes, but I'm just saying there are so many things that we can get sidetracked on. Thank you, Chris Warnicky. I got one red line at Torah to the tribes. Great ramble in the brambles. Yes, I am in the brambles. I am in the brambles. Let's get back onto the narrow path. Maggie went off in the brambles. So the principle of five separates out the seven. Think about that. Those who have spiritually come into Yom Drua last week, the fifth annual Moed, and the appointment of Yahuwah, 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 Yehovah. Oh my goodness, that'll offend some of you. Um, Jehovah, Jehovah, right? Jehovah. Jehovah. It's not that far off. Okay, it's not Je even Jehovah isn't that far now. The Jehovah Witnesses are a long way off, but Jehovah isn't that far off. All right, there isn't a J, so it's a Y. Okay, okay, the Vav is Babylonian, so it's not a Vav, it's a Wa. Right, so now we're right there, and there are no vowels, so you're just trying to figure out what the vowels are. It's not that far off. Okay, and that's hundreds of years they've been doing that in the King Jimmy. Right? So, I tell you what, I feel like I'm just maturing. I really do. In so many things in life. All the angst is gone. It's awesome. I just have so much more peace in my life. Because I don't argue anymore. I don't have to argue about it. I just see the remedies of Yahweh are available for us all everywhere if we just want to take them. It's just amazing. So we come to the appointments of Yahuwah. We come to the fifth annual feast and then tomorrow the sixth annual feast. And I'm super excited about the seventh annual feast, Sukkot. So you can register for Sukkot down there. My wife is working so hard to try and get everybody allocated their RV spots, tent sites, cabins, and all that good stuff. This is the marriage feast of the Lamb. And the ones that make this one qualified to be the bride of Messiah because they inherit the first resurrection, because they are the firstborn, the Bakor, the Bakorim, the firstborn of Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah. We now, tomorrow night, come to day six, Yom Kippur. Six, of course, is the number of man. The sixth day now, allegorically, metaphorically, Linking this to the sixth Moed by marching around Jericho, the sixth day of marching around Jericho, your fate is sealed. The city's fate was sealed. If you haven't figured it out by Yom Kippur, your fate is sealed. Can we all agree on that? Because that is the day where Yahuwah pours out his wrath on a Yah-rejecting society. 
to, we need to have it figured out before Yom Kippur on the prophetic time scale of things, because that's judgment day. And the sixth day of walking around, marching around Jericho was judgment day. The sixth day is a day of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And you see it throughout the scriptures. How many times did Abraham intercess for Sodom and Gomorrah? He had six intercessionary prayers in Genesis verse 18. How many times was Yahushua accused? Because those accusers of the brethren, they're everywhere. How many times was Yahushua um, accused of being possessed by Shedim, demons? Six times. And it was the accusers operating in the spirit of six who were possessed by the murderous spirits. So when anyone begins a work for Yahuwah, the opposition, the naysayers, always follow this sixfold opposition. And it's illustrated, I think, perfectly in the book of Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah. Okay, we come to the sixth feast, but most people are going to get a bunch of naysayers, accusers of you, before you even get to the sixth feast. That your 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 what was what are the words that we were all accused of when we started keeping Torah? You know, your we're not under law, we're under grace. Oh, you're a Pharisee. All of those things. It's been so long, and I haven't heard them and been accused on them in such a long a long time. But again, you know, the opposition comes out the woodwork. Sometimes it's your your co-workers because you're not working on the Sabbath. Sometimes it could be that it might be your very spouse. It could be your children, your grandchildren, your uncles, your aunts, your next door neighbors. Who knows? Who knows? But when anyone starts to work for Yahweh, the opposition comes out. And it is always a six-fold opposition. So I'll show you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, and we'll finish up there before we get into the seventh day. And of course, that would be Sukkot. So if you're truly, I believe, if you're truly going to do a work for Yahweh, then you're going to see this six-fold nature of the opposition come against you. I've seen it in my life time and time and time again. Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 10 through 19 and then again you'll see it in Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 4 and 6. The first opposition of the sixfold opposition is disturbance. Remember We're talking about the Moedim. We're talking about getting through the 10 days of awe. We're talking about being overcomers. You've got to first overcome those that are opposed to Yahweh and are opposed to your faith and the way that you want to now live your life for Yahweh. The first thing they're going to try and do is disturb you. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 10. When Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. What happens when you start to seek Yahuwah and you start to seek the well-being of others to be led into the ways of Yahuwah 
it will cause up a disturbance in those that are opposed to Yahuwah. It could be governments, it could be the secular neighbor, it could be the secular person. There is this vexing, it causes a, it deeply, you deeply disturb people. Your faith deeply disturbs people. The next thing that comes of the sixfold manifestation of evil is laughter and derision. You ever been laughed at, derided? Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sanballat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and they despised us. When people laugh at you and people despise you because you are staying the course and your course is a righteous one, then know that you are winning. Know that you are winning. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? The third thing on this sixfold manifestation of evil is wrath, indignation, and mocking. And you find this in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Wrath, indignation, and mocking. Remember, you're going to be afflicted with all of these before you get to Yom Kippur at some point in your life. So you best learn how to deal with it now and overcome it. And you certainly don't deal with it by arguing with it. You deal with it by accepting it and returning it, and then it is discharged. Just like energy, electricity accepts the charge, it flows and allows it to self to be a conduit, and the charge is discharged. But if you argue, you are not, you cause a block, and that causes a hand grenade in your life or a blowing up of the electrical panel. Am I correct? Okay, I'm looking at the electrical engineer over here. You accept the charge and then you let it flow through you and it is discharged and dissipated. If you argue against this wrath, indignation, and mocking, or any of these evils in the world that will come against you, then you detonate a hand grenade in your life. Wrath, indignation, and mocking we find in chapter 4. But it was so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. When you start keeping the Moedim at the Feast of Yahweh, when you start keeping the Torah, you are rebuilding the walls that have been torn down by tradition and papal bull loney um, in your life. Okay? The children were looking at me, were looking at me, wondering if I was going to fall and stumble. But it was so happened that when Sambalak heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these 
feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O Elohim, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. When you accept the charge, you discharge the charge and it turns the reproach on their own heads. Another way in the scripture says you are heaping hot coals on your en enemies by not engaging in the controversy. The fourth thing that we see manifestation of evil that will come before Yom Kippur is conspiracy, fighting, and open opposition. And when that is manifest, you know that you're doing some serious damage. You know that your work is almost completed and you are winning. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored. You see, that's what we're doing by keeping the feasts. We are restoring the walls of our temple man. And the gaps were beginning to be closed. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about those portals. Because when you sin and your youth, you had wide gaps where you just had inroads into your life, strongholds, whatever those things that you were practicing, you've got massive gaps in your walls. But as you mature in the faith, you block up those gaps. You close down those highways and byways. You put in the mortar, you put in the plaster, and you make your walls strong so that none of that evil can come into you because you know how to live and it cannot touch you. It cannot. But oftentimes, you still have to go through the process. You still have to march around Jericho. You can't just go back to your tents and say, oh, I don't want to do No, you have to deal with it. Because you don't know how long it will take. Only Yahuwah knows. On day one, they didn't know. Day two, they didn't know. Day three, they didn't. They just had to stay. We don't get to know when we will be released. But we do know that we will be released if we repent of our sins. They have to let you go. They have to let you go. It is natural law, and you cannot go against natural law, even though this world will try and tell you it's okay to wear prosthetics to a high school in Canada, and that's totally normal. No, that is going against natural law. Don't care what you say. You do not see it in nature. It's not going to work because it's going against natural law. You can't. doesn't matter what arguments you have. It, it doesn't matter. Gravity is gravity. doesn't matter if you don't believe it. It's in the natural law. There's always going to be those that conspire, fight, and come in open opposition. And we see in the fourth chapter, the seventh and eighth verse, 
that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. The demons become angry when you close the gaps down in your life. And they conspire together to come and attack Jerusalem and cause great confusion. So you've got to realize when you're cutting down and blocking up those gaps in your life that these demonic principles, and they could be people or they could be principalities, they are going to be angry. They are going to conspire together. Could be a horde of them, a slew of them to attack your temple, you, and create confusion in your mind. So therefore, you've got to get back in the word. You've got to get in prayer. Because those old habits, man, they're going to try and confuse you. The fifth thing we find is conference and more conspiracy. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now, it happened that when Sambalat, Topiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, Though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalat and Geshat sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So come therefore and let us consult together. This was an absolute dastardly attempt to weaken them in their work. Verse 9. But Nehemiah wisely refused to confer with his enemies. Never confer with your enemies. Never. This world teaches the opposite. Okay? Because why? Because they are looking to tear down the strongholds, the fortresses, anything that is righteous, this world seems to want to tear down. But we never confer with our enemies. We accept everything that they try to levy on us, and therefore we have the remedy. We don't know when, but we know that Yahweh will see us through the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, Yom Kippur, the sixth Moed. If you make it to that day and you've gone through all of these tests and you've overcome, you've overcome disturbances, you've overcome the wrath, indignation and mocking that people have of you and your faith, and your beliefs, and the way that you conduct yourself. When you've overcome those conspiring little heathens, when you've overcome the fighting and the open opposition, when you refuse to confer with your enemies, and you refuse to get caught up in a controversy and conspiracy, then when? Then you are ready for Yom Kippur. Because those walls will come tumbling down. It is a promise. It is assured to you. That's what I see. But be careful. Because there will be those that come to you. And they will be false friends. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 10. Afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah the son of Delilah, the son of Methathal, who was a secret informer. And he said... 
let us meet together in the house of Elohim, within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that Elohim had not sent him at all, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalah had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My Elohim, Remember Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have me been afraid. Be careful. They come as wolves in sheep's clothing. Oh, they're here to tell I'm just here to help you. I'm here to help you get along with this. No, they're not. Yahusha was asked six times, six times for a sign by the rebellious and generation and adulterous generation that he served. Number one, he was asked by the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, and Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Number two, he was asked by the um, Sadducees in, in um, Matthew 16, 1. Number three, the disciples, Matthew 24, verse 3. Number 4, the people, Luke 11, verse 16. Number 5, the Judeans, John chapter 2, verse 18. And number 6, the people again in John chapter 6, verse 30. Because on the sixth day, looking at this symbology with the six, on the sixth day at Yom Kippur, if, if we will surrender our will, if we will surrender our weaknesses, if we will surrender our sin, then, when, then, we will pass completely out of sin and condemnation and into the firstborn light that Yahuwah has for us in the resurrection because we will attain the bride. Just as a Hebrew slave would serve for six years and be released on the seventh, so we who remain slaves to sin, listen, in conclusion, we that remain slaves to sin, while we refuse to totally surrender, we must pass through the six cleanings represented by the six festivals from Passover to Yom Kippur. Because our faith needs to be perfected. And for our faith to be perfected, to persuade us, to compel us to surrender the last vestiges of carnality. And until we have completed our march on the sixth day, we will not have made it to completion. And that's why the Apostle Paul admonishes us to complete the race of faith in 2 Timothy. In conclusion, wrapping it up, he goes on to say this. I charge you therefore before Yahweh and the master Yahushua HaMashiach, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing 
and at his kingdom. Proclaim the word to be ready to do so during the Moedim. In season, Moed, and out of season, Moed, at regular times, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with all patience, patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching. Have we come to that time? Everybody's being gaslit, left, right, and center, and they believe it. But they won't endure sound teaching. But after their own lusts shall they add for themselves extra teachers, tickling the ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to made-up stories. That's gaslighting. But guard yourself in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of a proclaimer. Fulfill your service to the Moedim. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. For I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. And again, in Hebrews 12, 1, it is written, Therefore, seeing that we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of Israelite witnesses, these are the witnesses at Jericho, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And it does, does it not? Does it not? Or am I the only one? And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So surrender. In conclusion, and acceptance will cause giant Jericho light fortifications to come crashing down. And then that's when the divine miracles start happening. Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward for this faith is to see what you believed. Let me repeat that. Faith is to believe what you do not see. And the reward for this faith is to see what you believed. And I am a testimony to that, and so are many of you. But you have to see this through the sevenfold cycle first, because then you get to the Feast of Tabernacles. Day seven, you'll have to wait a few more days. So the seven days of Jericho are a model for deliverance from meaninglessness. They are a model for deliverance from worldly existence. They are a model for deliverance from sin. When we walk in the rhythm of the Creator Elohim. Joshua said in the sixth chapter, in the 26th verse, he charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before Yahuwah who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and his youngest he shall set up at its gate. So the whole lesson of Jericho is that you don't want to be part of the world system. But the lesson also is that if you choose not to be a part of it, but to be a part of Yahuwah's Malkut kingdom, that unless you do the things Yahuwah's way, and you follow the tabernet, the pattern, your attempts to stay out of the world system, let alone destroy it out of your life, will be futile. You have to follow his pattern. 
Otherwise, you will get put into the pattern from which you came, which is mystery Babylon. We can't be half Israel and half Jericho Canaanites. We just can't. We're either in or we're out. We're either hot or we're cold. We're either in that doomed fortress, which seems, it does seem to be so strong, so firmly footed, doesn't it, this world that we live in? But not if you're really paying attention. Not if you're reading the word of Yahweh. You realize that it is fragile. That it is a house of cards. And that little army, though you are few, though we are few, that little army marching around it, following the pattern, following the cycles of Yahuwah, has the very backing of the creator of this world. So being in that little fragile army of believers and being the meek, you shall inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah by following the pattern. That's all I've got for you this Shabbat. It's Yom Kippur tomorrow, and I hope to see many of you at the Feast of Tabernacles. I will take a few little comments and some chats here in the live chat if you want to grab my attention. Please redline me, and you do that by going at TorahToTheTribes.com, and I will be able to grab your attention, or you can grab my attention. Very good question, Mary Trotter. What if you ask for forgiveness, but the person won't forgive you? and wants you to pay for your offense over and over again, then that is their dishonor. If you've asked for forgiveness, then you're in honor. If they do not forgive you, then they have dishonored your repentance. And then the condemnation and the coals are upon their heads. Hmm. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. G7 Arden, G7 Earl. If a household only has a believing wife, but not a believing husband, how should she keep the Moadim at home if she can't travel? Well, that's a very, very good question. Well, how would one do that? From the heart, and by making it set apart, how you make that set apart is you could just go up into your prayer room and your prayer closet. You could also, you know, do special foods. You maybe you would do a blessing and then with some kiddish or grape juice, grape juice. You could build a sukkah in the back garden with palm fronds from your local, you know, garden store or however. And you maybe suggest to your husband or to your children to come and sit outside under the sukkah as you've prepared a meal. And, and would they be willing to hear a Bible verse? You know, all of this with invitation to a banquet, not condemnation, but invitation. That's most probably how I would approach it. I would try to make it enticing because Yahweh tries to entice us or compel us better to perform at the feast. So that's what I would do with um, those in my family too. 
All right. Teresa Smith says, the tabernacle is always my favorite. Yeah, most people really enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles because it's usually bigger and a longer time. And of course, we do get the camping, the Moedim. And G7 responds, thank you. That's how I have been. Each year, I wonder more and more about how to perform the feasts better at home. And we all do. There's an excellent book. And, um, oh, I just escaped my mind. My wife uses it all the time with the children. Do you remember the book? The Bibli Is it the Biblical Feasts? What's the purple book? Is it the Biblical Feasts? Yeah, maybe Shabbat Fellowship can put that up in the chat if anybody knows. It's How to Keep the Biblical Feast. It's a really great book. We've had it for years, and it kind of helps you kind of put some great biblical traditions in the home for the Moedim. So again, blessings to you all. Oh, we've got a few more people that popped up um, on the chat asking some questions, so I'll address these. Yes, here we go. Brad, at Torah to the tribe. Sure. I think he's agreeing with Psalm 44, verse 20. Sure. If you don't know better, Jesus or Hashem is just dandy. But if you know better, do better. Exactly. To him who knows, then there's an accountability. So yes, I would totally agree with that because like we read in the psalm, and the psalmist says his name is important. His name is important, definitely. So I would be in total agreement with you there, Brad. Um, Shabbat Shalom. Um, Chris Warnicky, extended and vigorous golf clap. What's a golf clap? Oh, is that a golf clap? Okay, thank you. Golf clap for this teaching. This basically played out in our lives this week. Praise Yahweh. He is good. I love it when, when it plays out in our lives, doesn't it? It truly does. So there we have it for you. We will be taking a break for a couple of weeks, but we shall be recording the Feast of Tabernacles, um, me um, teaching there, and the Libby Tube and Brenda from Florida. So we should have a slew of material, hopefully for you, if all the recordings go well, when we get back in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned. And remember, you can subscribe to the ministry channel and then you won't miss anything. You can hit the notifications bell. Put a comment down in the chat. Edify one another. Connect with one another too. We've got lots of Facebook groups. And if you are so inclined to give, then please give by visiting TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash give. We thank you for those of you that do support the ministry. And Yahuwah's blessings upon you all. Live in peace. Live in shalom with one another, with your neighbor, and grow in the strength of Yahweh. Shabbat shalom.